Hello, and welcome to More Than Money, a podcast that interviews leading professionals to understand how an MBA increased their ability to have a positive impact in the world. My name is Eleanor Huntington. And I'm Amy Tyler. We're both FEMBA, fully employed MBA students at UCLA Anderson. We're interested in the intersection of business education and social impact, and we're excited to have you along for the conversation. Hello, and welcome to Oksana, our guest today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your current role? Yes, of course. Happy to. And thank you so much for having me. I am currently the Corporate Partnerships Manager at Grameen America, nonprofit microfinance organization operating here in the U.S. that serves low-income, predominantly minority women entrepreneurs, helping them start or grow their small businesses. Grameen America is really unique uh, for a nonprofit organization because it is a microloan lending program. It does earn revenue on the interest being repaid. So just by way of background, all of our loans are on a six-month tenure. We do not require credit scores or collateral. The maximum first-time loan is uh, $2,000, so really tiny. And the only thing that we ask from program participants is that they commit to attending the weekly century meetings, which are now carried out virtually, where they receive financial education, they receive peer support, and it's really the heart of our program. And what makes Grameen America and the Grameen Bank unique is that group lending uh, model that's been implemented by other organizations, of course, but that was really where it got refined and why our founder, Professor Muhammad Yunus, um, ended up winning the Nobel Peace Prizes. To that key insight that the poor are trustworthy and that social capital is one of the most powerful glues for lifting up whole communities. We do earn some interest on average. It's about a thousand dollar loan costs about $45 repaid over six months. And that as our portfolio grows in established branches, both in terms of the number of borrowers, but they also are able to take out larger loans with time. That really helps make those branches self-sufficient so they become a self-sustaining resource that serves the community. And so the philanthropic capital that we bring in is used to fund new branches and to expand wraparound services and launch new initiatives, like an initiative that we focus now to on serving specifically Black women entrepreneurs um, in underserved communities and really adapting our model to their needs through a variety of lean testing mechanisms. And so for that, we do need additional funding, but that's kind of what allows this um, incredible scale and expansion that Agarmi has experienced within its first 12 years in the U.S., And of course, the goal is then for our members to level up into mainstream financial institutions once we help them build a credit history and to grow their business. So that's a little bit about Grameen and what uh, helps differentiate us from other nonprofits is really that sustainability and the scale that, that it engenders. And when you say scale, what kind of scale have you been able to achieve in the last 12 years? So to date, we've served over 135,000 women across 15 cities in the U.S. 
we've dispersed over 1.8 billion in microloan and affordable capital. And that's 1 billion of that is just in New York City alone, because that's where our first uh, series of branches were started, where Professor Yunus was first sort of tasked with launching the organization uh, during the last economic crisis in 2008. And of course, there was a lot of questions at that point, whether a micro uh, finance program is even needed in a country that has such a robust mainstream financial sector as the U.S. does. But as we are continuously being reminded, unfortunately, there's a whole lot of persistent inequities in access to that capital, particularly for women, particularly for people of color. And that's really the population that we've focused on serving. Over 99% of the women we serve are are women of color, predominantly Hispanic and recent immigrants. That's the population that we've really focused on reaching because that's where we see the greatest need. That's great to hear. And tell us a little bit what it looks like you've always been involved in impact in one way or another throughout your career. What inspired you? What was your journey to go back and get an MBA and then choose to remain working in impact? Well, gosh, how far do we want to go? I mean, I think um, you're absolutely right. I've always worked in impacts for government or nonprofit entities. And I think sort of the root of it to go all the way back is my, you know, my childhood experience. I was born um, abroad in Moscow and grew up until I was eight or nine in Kazakhstan. And so that was the 90s after the former Soviet Union fell apart. And so... You know, I have these vivid experiences of my mom trying to finish her graduate education while raising her me by herself and, you know, working three part-time jobs to make ends meet while um, in school. And so when we moved to the States and, you know, she was able to get a good job at a university and start a new life for her, herself and me, there was this very palpable sense of, gratitude of being given, you know, so many opportunities that I personally did nothing to earn. She and the community that supported her were the ones that allowed for this. And so there was always this desire to make the most of it, to do right by the privilege. So initially that became manifest in the arts world. I had the wonderful opportunity to study dancing once we moved to the States and because it didn't speak any English, it was a great way to connect with others and to build a community and to, you know, kind of create a place for myself in, in this new environment. And while I knew that I wouldn't be a professional dancer farther along as I got in my dance training, I wanted to support others who had the talents and recognizing that artists are not necessarily the best managers. I went into arts administration to allow them to focus on their craft. And for me, I've always been fascinated by how groups of people interact and how organizations function, because at the end of the day, it's all people and we're messy and we're interesting and quirky. And so I think that's what attracted me initially is wanting to be a facilitator in that role and being a part of something larger than myself. And 
actually, when I came to Anderson, and I always knew I wanted to get a graduate degree because as my mom's story illustrates, it just opens up so many opportunities. And I knew that there was a skill set that I could uh, obtain through an MBA program specifically that could be more, make me more effective in the impact space. But going into Anderson, I thought I was you know, going to be the executive director of the Lincoln Center or something, you know, fabulous like that. But I was fortunate enough through my AMR experience to study women's financial inclusion and especially in, in a number of developing countries through a project with IDEO.org working on a Gates Foundation grant. And as part of that experience, and again, with the help of the Anderson Impact Community, we had the opportunity to go to India and to do some field research there and observe microfinance and group lending models implemented in that environment. And that really drove home how unevenly access to opportunity is distributed across gender, across geographies. I, I kind of already knew it, but it was a whole other level of visceral recognition. And so coming back four months before graduation, I pivoted. I thought I was going to join the small art startup that I was interning in during my time um, in the MBA program, but I realized that I wanted to work on uh, systemic issues and be of use lower down on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The arts are absolutely critical and culture is essential to holistic well-being, but financial inclusion and the role that access to capital can play in empowering women specifically uh, and the ripple effects of elevating women and how it impacts families, communities, uh, were so profound that I wanted to be a part of that. And thankfully, I was able to find Grameen. My academic advisor, Professor Walski, actually wrote a case study on the organization. And they had an opening that, while not necessarily an MBA-level position, was really well-suited to what I was looking for and what I could offer. And so it, in June 2019, I moved to, to New York to, to pursue my current position. And now I'm actually back in LA because we're working remotely. But it was certainly not every job is worth moving across the country for, but I felt like that one was That's an incredible story that really links your personal interests and your family history to what you're doing now. Before we jump further though, for people unrelated to the MBA program at Anderson, can you explain what an AMR project is? Alrighty, let's see how well I remember all of the key points. <laughs> so it stands for Applied Management Research, and it's this incredible opportunity for groups of students to essentially work as consultants with real life organizations, if you will, on real world problems. And through Impact at Anderson Center, there's specifically an opportunity to work with impact-oriented organizations. And so that was some something that myself and my team were really keen on pursuing. And that's how we got connected with IDEO.org and we're helping them with their research and the work that they were doing as part of a grant from the Gates Foundation. Thank you for that explanation. With your journey and coming into your business school education, was a clear sense that you would be returning to an impact space? Did you ever find during your business experience that you became really invested or involved or attracted to other potentially more profit maximizing roles 
and or how did you integrate that really strong part of the business education into your impact experience? That's a great point uh, and a great question, just because when you do arrive in an MBA program, the the world is kind of the oyster and there's so many potential opportunities and career paths you may have never considered that you become exposed to. But I think for me, for the most part, I was fairly set at that point at staying in the art space. I did toy for a bit with the uh, idea of possibly going into for-profit entertainment space, which be UCLA, you know, being based in LA, was perfectly positioned for. But I quickly realized that that was not necessarily my world. It was not a cultural fit, and the reason, sort of, the rationale for that was still in service of it taking the best practices from the entertainment space and then applying them when working for nonprofit arts administration. But I quickly realized that that wasn't quite right for me, and I think maybe part of that is my comfort. I've always been a bit of an outsider. That's just kind of a function of the immigrant experience. So I was relatively uh, comfortable forging my own less trotted path. But that being said, I think most, if not, you know, all of the classes I took, there's learnings and insights that are, you know, directly transferable because at the end of the day, it's all organizations, right? It's all people trying to work towards a shared goal and organize collectively. And there's challenges that come up to that relate to marketing, to finance, to organizational behaviors, et cetera. In general, I think that if you're looking for a a career in the impact space, you're going to be facing a lot of really complex, tough, systemic challenges that are interrelated and multifaceted. That's part of the frustrating, but also the satisfying nature of this work. And so if you approach the educational experience as being a bit of a way to prepare for that, to be resourceful, to find your own opportunities, whether that's taking classes from other schools like the public policy, whether that's interning with local impact organizations, nonprofits, et cetera. While Anderson is absolutely incredibly supportive of the folks pursuing impact experience, there's just fewer of us and fewer resources than, say, for investment banking or mainstream consulting. And so you have to be creative in that way. But I do think it's absolutely possible. And I think there's great value in figuring out what do you want to get from the experience? How are you hoping to grow? What are the gaps in your knowledge? And then being really proactive in crafting that experience. And not all of it may be through the formal institutional channels. And that's okay, right? You're kind of growing holistically as a human being. So I absolutely think that that is possible. And there just needs to be a little extra intentionality. But I think that intentionality is helpful, regardless of whether the resources are already preset for you, or if you need to source them out. And if I may just plug one class that I found really helpful, the public policy school, it's politics and philanthropy taught by Michael Fleming. And it's a wonderful opportunity to really think through the power dynamics and inequities in the impact space and the interactions of the various actors involved, as well as to hear from real life individuals working in the space. And funnily enough, after graduating, I ran 
into a good portion of the speakers in my actual day-to-day jobs, actually working with them in financial inclusion and poverty alleviation. So it's uh, certainly very, very valuable. And I think that as creative social entrepreneurs, we're fully capable of forging our own path. That's a fantastic response. And it's really exciting to hear how supportive Anderson is for students that want to carve out and have that intentionality whilst pursuing their business education. One of the questions that Eleanor and I have been considering is directly which skill set we're developing through our MBA journey, which is going to have the most applicable use in our impact career. And I'm wondering if there's a class or there's a skill set or there's an experience that really stands out for you in terms of improving how you approach having impact in the organization and the work that you're doing at the moment or on a personal level how you consider uh, the long game when it comes to impact I think the key process because I think it is a process that I've really uh, started to focus on and I'm continuing to refine for my time at Anderson is systems thinking is the ability to synthesize information from a variety of different functions within the organization, as well as within an ecosystem, governments, private corporations, nonprofits. It's figuring out how do you conceptualize those multi-actor interactions and how do you think a little bit more globally about how you as an individual, as well as your organization fits into that ecosystem? And how can you be creative in nudging and actively changing that ecosystem to for the greater good? And so I think it's that intellectual fearlessness of not being afraid to engage with a variety of cross-functional disciplines, whether it's, you know, accounting, finance, you know, being equipped to jump in and understand, oh, that organization does X, Y, Z. Oh, this role fits in this way in the sense that nothing is beyond your understanding, that if you utilize certain principles of this is how, you know, organizations generally function. These are the key roles. These are the dynamics of the inflows, outflows, et cetera, that operational prism, I think really helps you break down in with clarity, some of those complex multi-stakeholder interactions that you're involved with when you're operating the impact space, because, you know, as we've been discussing, it is complex. Otherwise, these challenges would have been solved long ago, right? Like there's a lot of different factors and tailwinds, headwinds, unexpected externalities. And so being able to zoom out in that way and process a lot of those insights, I think is something that for me, Anderson really helped you know, start to do in a lot more of an effective way. And the case study method in particular is wonderful for that because at the end of the day, you, you get to go into someone else's, into decision maker's head and to empathize with their process. How are they reasoning? How are they approaching these challenges? What are the biases and the heuristics that are hindering them in being effective, then you can apply that inwards and also into group dynamics, right? To be like, oh, this is 
this is something that internally as an organization we place outsized importance on that maybe it's worth questioning. And that kind of leads me to the other key insight, which I think is just the confidence to ask, why are we doing this? Why does this make sense? Because once you've been part of an institution as you know, rigorous and bold and prestigious at Anderson, there's a bit of a confidence boost to get from that, from not taking things as grants and from being unafraid to kind of think a little bit more critically. Because again, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're all people, doesn't matter what the actual title is, but it's about ideas. It's, it's not about egos. And so being able to really zero in on that and being unafraid to ask someone, hey, what was your rationale for coming to that conclusion? Not in an adversarial way, but to really focus on the best solution, I think is something that I've also really benefited from gaining uh, through my experience at UCLA. I love some of the quotes that you said through that, like nothing is beyond my understanding and the confidence to think outside of the box and at the same time bring all of those separate pieces together. And I wonder in the impact space, because having an MBA and working in impact is still something of a rarity, how you find the culture of bringing that approach and that understanding that you gain from an MBA into the impact space and whether, because you don't necessarily have a shared language with a lot of your colleagues, perhaps, when you're asking those questions and considering how the organization goes about measuring impact and pooling the resources together to achieve impact, how you've had those conversations within Grameen and whether there's been a change in how Grameen measures impact because of those conversations. It's a fine balance, right? You don't want to come in to be a bull in the China shop and to start asking, are you doing the X, Y, Z, et cetera. And very quickly, I learned to stop referencing my MBA experience all the time because it's simply not as fascinating to other people as it is to me. But that aside, I have to say that while Grameen is a 501c3, is technically nonprofit, it's it basically functions as a social business, and it's one of the best run nonprofits that I've personally been a part of. So I was fortunate in that there was a culture fit largely in that, you know, our CEO, Andrea Jung, she is, she, she was a Fortune 500 CEO. She used to lead Avon. She runs the organization with an eye towards a lot of those same best practices, and we were the organization was already employing BCG for a lot of pro bono work around operational efficiency and capacity and scaling. So I think in a lot of ways, I lucked out in that the, the there wasn't as big of a gap to bridge culturally. There was already a lot of work being done on that front. That said, something that I did that I think, you know, in retrospect, I'm really grateful for making the time to do was to meet with a represented from one of all of the various departments, operations, finance, tech, HR, Agarmeen, to really sort of understand what their priorities are, how they think about how their function fits into the organization, and to really be able to understand what, what their priorities are, what their internal pressures are. And so when I'm working with them, I can really speak to that viewpoint and can understand a little bit more the constraints under which they're functioning. And in my role, that's particularly important because as part of 
uh, the development team at my corporate partnerships role is very externally facing, right? So we have to relay and synthesize the work that we're doing to partners on a daily basis. And so we need to keep our hand on the pulse and be able to relay everything that's going on across the entire organization and also to be able to zoom out and explain how we fit into the larger financial inclusion ecosystem. I think in that uh, role in particular, because we work with a lot of banks since through the Community Reinvestment Act, it's particularly advantageous to work for them to work with Grameen America since we're a a CDFI, Community Development Financial Institution. I think that's also where being a little bit more immersed in their world helps me kind of translate what we're doing more into their language as well. So that certainly has been very helpful um, in building rapport and also to, you know, connecting the dots for for the bankers or the other folks who may not be living in, in this same space as we are day to day. That's been helpful. And what I've really focused on in my current role is building those systems, right? Grameen is an organization that has this incredibly ambitious scale. In the first 10 years, we reached over 100,000 women in the U.S., dispersing over $1 billion in microloans, and we're set to easily double that. We're coming up on $2 billion two years since hitting the first milestone. So it's very much exponential growth. We're opening four new branches this year. So understanding that this is a very important dynamic stage in an organizational life cycle. This not only applies to the programming and operations team, but also our team that's focused more on external partnerships. So figuring out how are the new initiatives I'm launching fitting into that growth? Are they scalable beyond just me making them work? How can we operationalize them? How can we prove that they're making an impact? For instance, one of the initiatives that I've been working on is creating uh, more member education opportunities by partnering with content specialists, banks in particular, who are always very eager to want to provide financial education since they already get those resources and they get regulatory brownie points for sharing them with the more vulnerable communities that we serve, the low to medium income populations. And so figuring out how do I connect the dots? How do I build those systems that outlast me? Because that's the scariest thing that I've seen in the nonprofit space is it's one person is essentially a department and when they're gone, things start to fall apart. And so being cognizant of that from the mindset of that, again, building systems that are meant to scale and taking the work that's all that the, the amazing work the organization is already doing and, you know, continue to advocate for that to, to go further is uh, has certainly been a priority of mine, while also staying humble and realizing that I have this toolkit. I'm a hotshot MBA grad, but I don't know everything. That's also a reminder for myself is that a degree is great. It's a toolkit, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you know best. And so again, focusing on the strongest ideas, understanding the rationales behind decision-making, and also being patient. I think coming out of the Anderson experience, you get trained into thinking on quarterly time frame. It's all much faster pace or it's a consulting engagement, which also has a shorter turnaround. But a lot of the sort of challenges or needs that I identify when joining are being addressed now, two years later, just because there were a lesser priority or there's institutional momentum, et cetera. So I think it's 
that balance of focusing on the ideas and wanting to make them as strong as possible, while also not letting your ego to get in the way where you get so attached to your own, where you don't understand that, you know, that that may not be the right solution at the right time. So it's certainly a balance. But like I said, I'm fortunate enough to be in a place where I can continue to refine that and be of help. What you're describing really is so people-centered and it can be very emotional, right? Because you're dealing with people's businesses with their hopes, dreams, and ambitions. So have you found that there's compassion fatigue from people working in this particular sector? It's not an easy job. You're absolutely right. And, you know, especially when you're interacting with individuals for whom this is their livelihood. 100% of the women we serve are at or below the federal poverty level when they join the, the problem. Like this is, these are their lives and our programming staff are amazing. I mean, they're really the heart of the organization. And as the headquarters team, you know, as the more corporate side of the org, it's our job to support their work. What I think makes them particularly effective in what they do in conducting the weekly century meetings with our members and do, providing uh, technical assistance and education, and then really being a, supporting the members holistically is that they come from the community. The programming staff we hire or members of the program or their family members were involved. They understand the needs of the organization because I'm, as I'm sure anyone in fact space has encountered, it, it takes a while to build trust and to create those solid relationships, especially for communities that have been burned before that have been exploited by payday lenders, by other predatory institutions. At the heart of what we do is that grassroots outreach. And so I think staff selection is incredibly important and also opportunities to grow and to feel supported by the organization, which you're a part of something that I do very much appreciate about the leadership at Grameen is that it promotes from within. One of the very first employees that joined the Jackson Heights Queens branch, Alethea Mendez, she is now the president of the newly established division for elevating Black women entrepreneurs. She spent 12 years in the organization and worked her way up. And there's countless stories like that of field staff seeing a pathway and being valued and being supported in their growth as well as they gain the skills required. That, that's a, on a more macro level. Uh, more logistically speaking, we've tried to you know, allow members to uh, allow our field and programming staff to really focus on the member interaction and on those relationships. So with support of BCG, we implemented a shared services model where a lot of the backend loan, loan reconciliation, other um, accounting duties are managed by a centralized team working from the HQ so that our branch managers and our relationship managers um, across the 23 branches can really focus on what they do best. Whenever I go on a site visit or I speak with our programming staff, it's this incredibly deep sense of appreciation and respect that I think fuels everyone else 
folks in HQ operations, finance, development, we all know what we're working towards. We all know that ultimately it's about our members, but it's also, but key to that, the heart of the organization are our relationship managers and our field staff. That clarity and the, the institutional resource allocation to support them and their work is present. Of course, it, it's still a lot to manage. So I wouldn't say that we have a silver bullet. I'd be skeptical if anyone says that, to be frank. But I think that that sense of clarity that you are making a difference, but that the organization is also not squeezing you out for all that you're worth, that there are backstops. Folks are not expected to work. You know, folks don't work weekends, that there are certain corporate guardrails, if you will, help and help help explain why we have such strong staff retention, but it's certainly something that we're working on as well. And I I think on a more personal level for me, it's having a chance to step back, to have other projects and hobbies, things that inspire you that even though the work is important, it is important to also have to be effective, to have other things going on so that you have the proper perspective and are not making rash decisions, knee-jerk decisions, and can be a little bit more intentional and thoughtful. So it's a dynamic process, right? Like, I don't think there's an end solution. I think it's something that you work towards and some weeks are better than others. But I think internally, there is the recognition that this is the priority our people matter. Let's do the best that we can to support them all up and down throughout the organization. That's fantastic to hear. And I think it is still a little bit of an unusual story in the not-for-profit sector where there is that recognition on not just the mission, but also the people that are fulfilling the mission. And what I really heard from your answer was that there were sort of three big approaches that Grameen was taking in terms of the empowerment of the individuals that are working on those cases that they can make decisions and deliver for the people that they're building those relationships with, which is that they are empowered to to make those calls, which would be really amazing. And then the opportunity for personal growth and the investment in staff to counterbalance putting all the resources into uh, the mission of the organization. And then having that big vision that you can all come in and align around. Sounds like a really great mix of motivations within the organization. That's a great synthesis. And again, it's a dynamic balance, right? Sometimes one area gets more emphasis than the other, but you do the best you can at the moment. And on our end, as a development team, we raise capital so that we can support that growth and we can support those salaries and we can make sure that our people are well taken care of. Going back to that systems thinking, understanding how your role fits in helps in that process as well. On that note, in terms of being one of the leading organizations, it seems to be in terms of incorporating sort of a business model to support the not-for-profit work, as well as having a really proactive culture in terms of the employees in the organization From your perspective, where do you see the most transformative trends across the impact sector? What are the opportunities, challenges? I think the the dominant one that in my role in particular has been brought to the forefront is the increased need and awareness that 
it's not the nonprofit's job to solve all of this, that these crises and these issues, whether we're talking about financial exclusion, racial equity, systemic poverty, income inequality, they affect all of us. The pandemic made that painfully clear. And so I think that growing awareness that we need all stakeholders at the table, that corporations have a role to play, that it's not enough to you know, just make, the, make pretty widgets and make the customers happy, that there, you have an obligation for, to the community and to the society that enabled your success. I think that growing recognition, and one can argue it to what degree it's greenwashing to what degree, or impact washing, whatever um, the term may be. In my work, especially the racial reckoning uh, has been brought to the forefront last summer, seeing corporations stand up to give, you know, more grants with fewer strings attached, to see individuals ask how they can help and allow us as the sec, you know, as the experts and what we do to dictate what we need. I think there needs to be more of that, of course. If this was easy, it will be solved, right? You know, like if there was one single solution, that that would be lovely, but it, it's going to take a variety of different approaches and actors. And so from an ecosystem uh, perspective, seeing companies like Unilever commit to, you know, uh, diversifying their supply chains, being sustainable, engaging more, engaging more small businesses, that's great. That That's heartening. More of that, please. More of that 10 years ago, but we'll take it now. Sort of an approach. That's something that I'm personally um, excited about as an organization that's focused both on poverty alleviation and empowering women of color. We've been really on that intersection and the forefront of you know a lot of the response efforts to support those communities who have been disproportionately affected. So we've seen the strong response there. That said, I think one area of opportunity and potential growth is more collaboration, more partnership. And I know as nonprofits, we uh, sometimes are not keen on that because we're already doing so much and partnerships, as we all know, are kind of messy and they're kind of rocky and it takes additional effort and it may detract staff resources that are already hard pressed. But because it does require a multi-actor, multi-channel approach, that's something that Grameen, for instance, has really began to focus on more even during my relatively short tenure there, partnering with sister organization Grameen Prima Care to provide health education to our members because we have incredible reach to uh, 50,000 borrowers, you know, at time of COVID, how, and we have, you know, them meeting weekly, how can we use those channels to disseminate information? For Elevating Black Women Entrepreneurs Initiative, we're partnering with Rising uh, Tide Capital and other entities to help us provide more wraparound services and to tap into their networks. Breaking down some of those barriers, both between the nonprofit corporate uh, demarcation, but also within the impact sector and figuring out how can we be creative and working towards a shared goal and realizing that this is not a zero sum game and that ultimately our goal should be to work ourselves out of a job, right? Ideally, like our services shouldn't be needed. I don't think there's unfortunately any danger of that anytime soon. But those are the both the the heartening signs as well as areas of growth I would like to see more of. 
So as we come to the end of this interview, having taken in the information that you've provided us, not only about Fermin, but about the way that you approach integrating systems thinking and applying that to benefit nonprofit and impact work, what advice would you give to us or to others who are currently doing an MBA, considering an MBA or applying to MBA programs, but want to continue working in impact, who recognize that like you, that system thinking and this type of orderly process can be beneficial to their impactors. What advice can you leave with us? Hmm. Same advice that I probably give myself on a daily basis and that the ancient Greeks got right. It's to know thyself, know what motivates what you're strong at, know what you're know what you don't know. That's the most important part, right? And to stay curious and to continue learning and growing and to put yourself in situations where you may be slightly uncomfortable, that where you feel like you're a little bit over your head or to speak up where you are feeling shy. I think it's that uh, desire to kind of push those boundaries and test yourself. I don't believe in firm advice. I don't believe in like end goals. I believe in processes. I believe in practices that we get, we come back to, to stay grounded. And some of those that help ground me is doing things that are a little bit scary, doing things that I don't necessarily need to do to get by, but that I do either for, to challenge myself, to test myself, to learn from. So if you're considering an MBA, understand why, you know, understand w- what you're hoping to gain from it, realizing that it cha- may change. And so don't say I want XYZ position at this one company, otherwise I'll be heartbroken. So that's a recipe for failure. Realizing that you want a career where, you know, you are having an impact in, in these capacities, you're looking to grow the, these skill areas. So starting to chart that for yourself while also realizing that that's a dynamic process. So checking in, if you're taking a class once you are in school, asking yourself, what resonates? What can I learn from? What didn't I understand? What part scares me? Okay, finance scares me. What if I take that another class just to challenge that, just to grow in that area? You know, ultimately it is a time to learn. It is a time to be uncomfortable. And I think the more of those slightly uh, fish out of water experiences you have, the more comfortable you are with that and the better equipped you are to perform under pressure, to not be phased by those circumstances when they come up in the working world and in real life, which they always do, right? Like that's how you create something interesting. You get a little messy, you try something new, you see what works, what does and how you learn from it. That can be a little bit hard on the ego, but But the question is whether do you want a big ego or whether do you want to be effective and get stronger through the process? So that's something that I try to practice. I can't say I'm particularly grand at it, but I think that that's a real reliable process for me when I'm feeling challenged rather than shrinking back, leaning into it, asking myself, well, what about this situation makes me uncomfortable? Is it because I think that person knows more than me or that my classmates have more experience in it? Well, what can I bring to the table? What can I learn from what they're offering? Or how can I challenge myself to contribute when I'm feeling timid? I think those are all really helpful practices for that continued growth. And post an MBA process, remembering that learning doesn't stop the second you get your diploma. Again, it's a process, right, of that questioning. And I think in my job, if I was 
to do everything that was initially in the job description. I could skate by just fine, but I'd be miserable and the organization um, would be weaker for it. And sometimes it takes someone caring a little bit too much to go that extra mile, right? For change to actually to start to happen. So while you make the most of the institutional guardrails and resources, also challenge yourself to go beyond that, to seek out your own informal learning journey at whatever stage of application or post-grad you are. I think that that's a particularly fulfilling path that I've, I've grown stronger from um, in the process. Anna, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to chat with us today and for the incredible work that you're doing. It was exciting to learn more about it and particularly understand how you integrated your MBA into both pivoting in where you wanted to have an impact and also increasing the impact you were able to have on the ground. For people that want to reach out to you and maybe ask a bit more advice or ask, understand a bit more about what you do, what's the best way to get in touch? If I can be of help to you know anyone in the impact community at Anderson, otherwise I would love to connect. You can find me in my LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way. My last name should be typed out along with this podcast because it's fairly unpronounceable and distinctly Russian, but just look me up and I'd love to, to be of help and assistance. And I would love to hear about the journeys of other members of the Anderson Impact community. It's been a pleasure and thank you both Eleanor and Amy for running this uh, podcast and starting this series. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to the other episodes and I think it's fantastic to, to help rally the troops and create more of these connections. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. We look forward to hearing your thoughts and invite you to subscribe and leave a review. You can find both of us on LinkedIn with questions, thoughts, and any suggestions for people that we should chat to. And finally, here's to making and measuring impact.